If you're a first or second time guest with us this morning or watching us on Facebook, we're really glad that you're here because we are continuing a new series based on the book uh, Driven by Eternity by John Bevere. I highly recommend that you read this. Don't just believe what I'm saying from John Bevere from the study that I'm doing online uh, with this. Um, but today is part four. I hope that you'll be blessed by being with us. But most of all, as we prayed, our goal here is that every time we walk in here to hear a message is that we are transformed so that we can go transform the world. And today's message, if you're a believer, is more about us today. This is a real shake-up, wake-up call. And, and I'm going to use the words of Brenda because I couldn't help it when I was... Uh, when I was writing this out this week, I, you'll hear it. I've used, I, I don't know, this jacked up thing's really got me jacked up because I've been, you're going to be jacked up today. And I hope spiritually your faith is strong enough that you can handle it and that you don't run from God or run from the church, but you run to the truth of his word because this word is going against what our society and what churches in our society are preaching. This whole book really is. Not against the theology of it, but you'll see in a minute what I'm talking about. Last week, we began to talk about hell. Uh-oh, you're not supposed to talk about that in church. Because everybody's going to go to heaven. We talked about the fact that hell is real. That it is a place of utter darkness, utter hopelessness, absolute loneliness. And by the way, there will be no party in hell with your friends. No one will ever come to you in hell to comfort you, ever. By the way, let me just lay this out. Um, because we just sang about how um, no one will ever separate me from your love. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves people who end up in hell? Do you believe God loves Satan? But sin, the Bible says separates us from the presence of God. But his love, sin will never separate you from his love. But you will be separated from his presence. Here and there. But you have to remember as we go through this, this really difficult lesson that you will never be separate. Nothing you can do will ever make God hate you because he created you. And he wants the best for you. And he wants this message not to make you angry by picking it apart, but to make you say, I need more of Jesus in my life. Exactly like Penny prayed. That was a beautiful prayer. May every word come out of my mouth be of you and not me. Right? That's what we've been talking about. No party in hell. That's kind of a bummer for people that have fallen for that and believed in that. Uh, I've, I've been at funerals where I've, I've heard people say, someday I'll, I'll be in hell with her and we'll have a beer together. So, so sad. And obviously it's ignorance. They don't know what hell's going to be like. But guess what? You don't have to go there. Hell was not created for human beings, right? And in order for God, but in order for God to be both just and merciful, human beings will go there if they don't obey his commands. We read about that last week. If you don't make the most of your time here on earth, loving and serving God, loving and serving others, then you won't be confident at the day of judgment. And so as your pastor, I love you so much that I want you to walk in there like charity did in the, in the um, allegory. I want you to walk in with so much confidence that you just run up to him and say, I'm so glad that I finally get to meet you because now I get to serve you more fully. She had no fear when she walked into judgment, did she? That's what I want you to be ready for. That's, what John Bevere, that's why John Bevere wrote this book. Remember the verse we ended with last week. I put it back up on the screen because, oh, it is so big. And there's a reason why it starts out with, oh... Oh, that my children's hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands every once in a while. What does it say? Always. So that it might go well with them and their children forever. Do you realize that this series is not supposed to depress us? 
It should excite us. It should wake us up. It should remind us to have a healthy fear of God. It's called reverence. Look it up. Do a study on it. This series was written to make everyone think, am I making the most of my time here on earth for God? That's all. It's just, it's just to kind of poke you. Am I? And the reason that this series should excite us is because we are people with good news in the midst of a very dark, dark society. And we can either sit around and argue and debate every little detail of the book and the study, or we can decide not to get hung up on the details and arise and wake up and make our life count. And you know how you do that? You partner, because you can't do this alone. You partner with Jesus. Talk to Katie about how her time in Panama is going. She'll tell you, I can't do any of this without Jesus. There is no way the stuff I'm balancing now and I'm in charge of, no way I could do it without Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And the reason that we need to partner with them is we need to save others from the pit of hell. Because I hope that we all have confidence. We're not going there. For today, we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 7. You can start turning there, but I'm going to read a couple passages. Good luck if you can keep me up with Scripture today. Keep up with me because there's going to be a lot of Scriptures. So if you don't want to flip, that's okay. Look up on the screen. Matthew chapter 7. We'll be going there in a minute. If you don't have a Bible, the black Bible's in front of you. It's page 961. 961. But keep this in mind before we go to Matthew 7. Jesus came to earth to save us from the eternal penalty of sin. Remember what we said, that punishment was originally intended for Satan and his cohorts, right? It was not intended for us. So before we look at Matthew 7, I just want you to remember some things that God has done and God has said. Remember this from Genesis 1:31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Then God placed this very good, perfect creation into the hands of man to guard it and to keep it. Psalms 115.16 says, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. So God leased earth to man, and he told Adam to guard it. But how many of you know that God did not want a robot that day in the Garden of Eden? He didn't want a robot. And he doesn't want us to be robots either. He, either. he wants us to freely choose him and to freely choose what is right in his sight. He doesn't want robots. So God says to Adam, you can eat freely from every tree in the garden except for one. And if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Wow, that's kind of harsh, like this message. Wow, God does speak some harsh words sometimes. But you know what? It really wasn't a harsh word. He said, you have all of this. Just don't touch that one thing. You see how we look at a harsh word and we don't see the, the gold nuggets in it and the encouragement in it? We just hear the one hard thing and we walk away going, what was Pastor Mark trying to say? Christians are going to go to hell? You've got to be careful. Adam had all these good things. Don't eat from the one. And, and you know, most of us know this, but when Adam and Eve ate from that tree, did they die physically? No. He died spiritually. Physical death is, means that you cease to exist. Spiritual death means you are separated from the presence of God. And once Adam sinned, and for those of us who want to blame Eve, I want you to think about this. She was deceived. He was not deceived. He actually chose her over God at that moment when he bit into the apple. Because Eve wasn't even around when God gave the command to Adam. She was just told by her husband, um, we're not supposed to eat from that tree. And we all know how much wives listen to their husbands today, right? Hey, you can get mad at me, but it's biblical. We, it's there. Just kidding. Relax. I got to make you laugh before you start crying later. This is, this is what Eve was given. Eve, Eve was given communicated knowledge. It was a command from her husband. While Adam was given revelation knowledge. 
It was a command straight from God. You see, you get communicated knowledge from a sermon. Revelation knowledge comes from God. It's when you're listening to a sermon and all of a sudden something in your spirit jumps and you hear God speak. And it's, this is why you never want to check out of a sermon, by the way, ever, because you never know when God is going to give you a revelation that will transform your life, even if you've heard this message 50,000 times. You need to be asking God, I want to have revelation knowledge. So people with communicated knowledge are easily deceived. However, people with revelation knowledge cannot be easily moved. And when Adam sinned, he, he subjected all of creation to the curse, even the animals. And says in Romans 8, 20, 21 from the New Living Translation, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. All creation was subjected to God's curse because of Adam's decision. So nature was not cursed by its own choice. And Adam's decision on earth also subjected his wife and himself and all future offspring, you and me. Every child born after this moment was born into the curse. Do you know what the curse is? Separation from God. And with the most powerful act of love, God sends Jesus. You know why? Because God has been since that day trying to restore the relationship. In your notes. And when someone receives what Jesus did for them on the cross, not only are their sins forgiven, but they are given a brand new nature. That's what we call born again. They are given a brand new nature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 from the Living Bible says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. Listen to me. He's not the same anymore. You need to get this because of what I'm about to say. He's not, once he receives Jesus, his behavior changes. His words change. His attitudes are now under the control of God and not under his control of his feelings. He changes. He's not the same anymore because a new life has begun. When a person becomes a Christian, in your notes, they go from the image and likeness of Adam to the image and likeness of Jesus. Are you with me so far? There's a complete nature change. Everyone say nature change. We are literally born again. This is the reason, listen real closely, this is the reason that it is ridiculous for a Christian to criticize a non-Christian for their behavior. I mean, think about this. We get upset when a sinner sins. Listen, the spiritual DNA of a sinner is to sin. That's just their DNA. In other words, in your notes, it shouldn't surprise a Christian that the nature of a sinner is to sin. Church people, let's renew our minds please, because what's really jacked up is when someone who says that Jesus is my Lord and yet habitually lives in sin. That's what's really wrong and jacked up. That's just crazy because in your notes, the nature of a Christian is Jesus. The nature of a Christian is supposed to be Jesus. And yet so many are living the opposite of that. That's what Brenda would say is jacked up. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus makes this statement. Matthew 7, starting with verse 18. I'm reading from the NIV. A good tree, you say it. Say it louder. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit. Everybody say, by their fruit. By their fruit. Say it again, because you're going to need this later. Okay, I don't believe you. Say it again. By their, fruit. by their fruit, you will recognize them. In your notes, Jesus is saying this. The nature of a tree is revealed by its fruit level. The nature of a tree is revealed by its fruit level. 
If you want to know if a tree is good or bad, look at its fruit. Jesus is saying that a poisonous tree cannot produce good fruit. That's why it's ridiculous to expect a sinner to live a godly life. They cannot produce good fruit in your notes. And then Jesus says, a person who is born again cannot continually produce bad fruit. Those who are truly born again will bear good fruit, right? So someone who's, who even says they're born again cannot continually produce bad fruit. That's what I read there. I don't know what you read, but maybe you can fix it on Wednesday night. By the way, if you it, Wednesday night, uh, I had my tooth pulled, so I wasn't here Wednesday night, but they said it was a really good conversation. Bring it. Bring all your questions. Bring all your concerns. If you think we're going legalistic, come at, come at us with that. You know, because we don't want to go down that road. And you may help us, but I'm just reading from the Word of God, and that's what I hear. I hear that a bad tree will not produce good fruit. So I don't care how good they tell me they are. If they're producing bad fruit and I can see it, it's, it's not registering for me. You, I don't care if they quote Scripture at me. I don't care how much they know of Scripture. If I don't see good fruit, then I'm kind of wondering, are they a good tree? Now, this is where we get the description, true believers, right? Do you, do you realize that we've never had to say this before, but now in our society today, where everyone calls themselves a Christian, now we have to say, I'm a true believer. We never used to have to say that in the 70s and 80s. Now you have to be a fruit inspector. Verse 20 says, by their fruit, we will know them. Now watch this in verse 21. Not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We've read this over and over, and you're going to hear all throughout this series. But only the one who what? Okay. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This one verse alone challenges, challenges a lot of what's been and is being preached today and for the last 25 years, because for years... The church has been preaching, get a person to say a magical prayer. Just pray that prayer, and you're on your way to heaven. And because as a church, we have failed them. We have failed them. We have people who have confessed their sins and confessed Jesus as their Lord, but there's never been a nature change. How do we know? Because they're still doing what they always did, habitually sinning. Their nature never changed. They said a prayer, but their nature never changed. This is why there's so much sin in the church today. I, I believe, and John Bevere believes, because we get them to say a prayer with no discipleship to back it up. And here at Light and Life, we've been guilty of this, and we are working on this. Because we've recognized that we have not raised up true believers, and we want to. That's our heart. So pray for your leaders of the church whenever we get back to meeting, because pastor's in neutral right now. So we'll get back. I know what you were thinking. Jesus said it over and over and over. Read it in the New Testament. He said, I don't know how many times he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Which means in this society, you're going to be swimming upstream. You're going to be swimming against the current. If you're swimming with them, you're not denying yourself. You're not taking up your cross. You're not following me. Do you know what the cross means there? It means death to yourself. It's exactly what Penny prayed this morning. If you look up the word Lord, and then look up the, if you look up the Greek word, it's kurios. Kurios is the Greek word for Lord, and it means supreme in authority and ownership. Those some will say to me, Lord, Lord, but you know what? I never owned their life. I was never supreme authority in their life. So, when a person says, I confess you as my Lord, as a church, and as if they're your Becky, you have to teach them what they're saying. Because what you are saying when you say, I confess you as my Lord. What you're saying is, Jesus, I give up ownership of my life, and I'm giving it to you. No longer do I have the right to choose what I want. I now will choose what you want. I will no longer live like the world. 
That's what you're saying, right? When you say you're my Lord, master, is that what you're saying? Are you with me so far? 1 John 2 from the message, 1 John 2 verses 15 through 17 says this. This is an interesting uh, uh, wording of this, and I love it. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. There's the separation. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Let me repeat that. Whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. You can approach the judgment throne without any fear. Listen, if you don't learn to take up your cross, you will come to a decision where your flesh will tell you to go one way and the will of God will tell you to go the other way. And if you don't die to your own ways, you will go with your friends. And you will still probably be confessing Jesus as your Savior, but you will be deceiving yourself because Jesus really isn't your master when you're in control of your life. This is what we should be telling people when they come to Christ because now we have Christians who are talking about how much they love their church and God, but there's no conviction about how they're living. There's no nature change in your notes. I just decided to throw this in. I don't know how correct this is. You can't have change without conviction. You can't have change without conviction. When a church or a pastor or a sermon does not bring conviction from God and from his word, it, it's, it's just a club. The born-again club, you can call it. Where everyone thinks that they are set for eternity. They think they're set for eternity. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. Die to your own desires. Die to your own wishes. Die to your own schedule. Die to your own lust. And follow my will. In your notes. Listen carefully. This is the encouraging part. See, there's encouraging nuggets in here. If you take on Jesus' nature, you will desire to do his will. And when you desire to do his will, you know he's going to give you the power to do it. Talk to Katie. The stuff she's in charge of right now is overwhelming for one person. But in his power, she's doing it. And she's learning a lot on the job. And she's learning that Jesus is more faithful than he ever has been. How do I also know that there are Christians in the church that have not had a nature change yet? Because they're still wanting, wanting, wanting. As 1 John tells us, wanting their own way, wanting everything for themselves, wanting to appear more important. Pastor, I wish you would just sing less songs. I wish you would preach shorter. I want children's church and nursery, but I'm not willing to serve. I want to be a leader. I want the lights to be on. I want the lights to be off. You need a nature change because none of that matters. Oh, my word, folks. So the church is changing and the lights are being dimmed for the younger generation because that's what they like. Who cares? It's not about the lights and it's not about them. It's about you coming in and glorifying and worshiping your father. It should feel like you and him are the only ones in the room. And if it's not, I don't believe you're truly worshiping. That's just my opinion, by the way. That's not biblical. So don't get mad at me. You can disagree with me. That's okay. We can disagree and still be, still love each other. Ah, Lord, help me to stick with the word. Don't give my opinion. In your notes, it's an exchange. Everyone say exchange. This is an exchange. We must give our entire life in exchange. In exchange, we get his life and his nature. But we have to give our life to him as Lord, supreme authority of our life, supreme or complete ownership of our life. Everything we say, everything we think, everything we purchase, everywhere we go. I won't go unless he tells me. I won't buy it unless he gives me the permission. Jesus said in Mark 8, 35, I'm reading from the Amplified. Whoever gives up his life will save it. Whoever gives up his life in this world for my sake and the gospels 
will save it from the consequences of sin and separation from God. You have to die in order to get his life. You have to die in order to get his nature. That's what we're basically reading. Listen, we have fallen for the deception that freedom is getting to do whatever we want to do in this life. It's not. Do you know what the Bible actually calls that? Slavery. The Bible calls it slavery. You're a slave to sin if you're just doing whatever you want. And we have abused free will to the point that we actually now think that it's freedom to do whatever I want, listen, with no consequences. Can can you hear me this morning? Freedom is found in Christ. Everybody say that. Listen, I want to kind of explain this to you because I know some of you are walking this out, and I love watching you walk this out. Do you know that when you really understand what you just said, you don't have to make any decisions? Jesus makes them for you. Isn't that cool? There's no pressure that way. When Jesus makes all your decision, guess what? It's all his fault of why you're being persecuted or why everybody disagrees with you. Mark, you are stupid for moving to Dubois and leaving your business behind. Wasn't my idea. Complain to Jesus. Of all the places of the world you're going to go, why Russia? It's scary. Aren't you worried? You'll have to ask Jesus why, because I don't want to go. Ask my wife for two days. I told her, I am never going to Russia. You need to stop asking me, and you need to tell Kent to stop calling me, because I am not going. Ask her. I emphatically said, I will never go there. And what? Yeah, three times ago. You'll have to ask Jesus why Russia, because I was asking him while I was over there, what? What am I doing here? Well, Pastor Mark, I don't like this hard sermon series. Take it up with the man, because it's his truth, not mine. You see in your notes, it's way more. This is way more than just mentally believing in Jesus. It's when you say in your heart, I'm yours. I'm your servant. I'm your soldier. I'm your slave from this moment forward forever. Now, will you have to fight and battle and war and suffer for your freedom? Yes, that's not a new concept, not even for mankind. And even Jesus said in John 16, in the world, you will have, you will have, you will have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous. In your notes, there is a cost of following Jesus. And Jesus said, you have to count that cost. And now, because people have said a prayer, but no one told them that you'll still have trouble, they quickly lose their faith. Even seasoned Christians who don't want to fight, they don't want to battle, they don't want a war, and they definitely don't want to suffer for Jesus, and they're just walking away from the faith because a tough day hit them in the, in the face. Or... They're miserable and they're grumbling and complaining about it all day. Or they're taking a pill for it. Because life is tough. When Jesus said, that's when I want to take you and rise you above it. But if you're in sin, I'm not there to guide you. And that's why you feel alone. That's why you're not rising above your problem in your issue. You're not trusting in me. You're not relying on me. So one of the biggest problems, what we're saying is one of the biggest problems we have is massive deception in the church. People who believe that they are Christians, but really aren't because they still own their lives and they still love and continue to practice sin. A slave to sin, by the way, a slave to sin is not someone who just falls into it now and then. It is someone who habitually or continues to practice sin. Get that down so you don't get mad at me later. A slave to sin is someone who is constantly sinning over and over and over in the same area. Okay? Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
You don't have to worry if, if you just, you know, I mean, Luann gave the best, best description one time of, of temptation and the red light and the yellow light. If you see a yellow light and you purposely punch it and run the red light, that's kind of purposely sinning. I know I didn't say that properly. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's page 1179 in the Black Bible. 2 Timothy 3, starting with verse 1, 1 through 5. Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days, dangerous or difficult times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that will be hard to bear. The Living Bible says it this way. In the last days, it is going to be very difficult to be a Christian. Verse 2, he goes on. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused. You, you, you tell me if this is what you're seeing. Lovers of money, impelled by greed. Boastful, arrogant, revilers. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection. Calloused and inhumane. Irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control. Let me repeat that one. Void of self-control. Intemperate, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God. So Paul, listen, you need to understand that in Paul's society, they had all of these types of people then. But why is he identifying our generation? Because of verse 5. They hold to a form of outward godliness, which is called religion, although they have denied its power. And I love the Amplified Version for this because their conduct, their behavior, the things they're doing void their claim of faith. Avoid such people and keep far away from them. That's interesting that it says that, but that's a whole other sermon. Do you see it there? People who have professed to be born-again believers but still have all the traits of the world and they deny the power. What's the power? It's the power of the grace of God that changes our nature. You see in your notes, the true grace and power of God transforms our nature. That's what grace was intended for. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Grace was given to you so that you would have the ability to overcome temptation and sin. It wasn't an excuse to sin. True grace and power of God, the true grace and power of God transforms our nature from being unholy to holy, from being disobedient to obedient, from being an unthankful person, because Thanksgiving's coming up, to a thankful person. When someone has truly met Jesus, their nature changes. And what Paul is saying is that in the last days, there's going to be rampant deception. And the deception is this. I prayed a prayer, so I'm okay. Go to church. Come on. Serve in children's church. Come on. Read my Bible. By the way, do you know why this message is so hard to preach? And do you know why this, so, this message is so hard for you to receive is because almost no one is reading the word of God anymore. And now when a pastor comes up and actually speaks the truth, they're like, what? There are Christians who are deceived? Well, I don't know if I believe that. I'm going to have to go ask my professor tomorrow morning at college. When you truly meet Jesus, your nature will change. I prayed the prayer, so I'm okay, but they haven't really given their heart. They haven't counted the cost. Go to verse 10. Go down to verse 10. Now you, Timothy, have diligently followed my example. That is, my example was this. Not only my teaching, but my conduct. You followed my behaviors. You watched me. You saw that it was good. You followed my purpose, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but the Lord rescued me from all of them. Notice that Paul told Timothy to follow his conduct, his behavior, the way he acted. He didn't say, follow my anointing. He didn't say, follow my miracles. 
Listen, the number one thing that justifies us is the character of Jesus. The number one thing that justifies you is the character of Jesus. That's what Penny was praying this morning. I want to have the character of Christ. The character of Christ are the, the moral qualities of Christ. That is why 1 John 2, 6 says, anyone who says he is a Christian should... Okay, you see how it's not my idea? You getting this? It's not my idea. Anyone who says he's a Christian should live as Christ did. In your notes. What is the fruit we are looking for in our own lives and in the lives of others? Go ahead and say it out loud. The character of Jesus. That's the fruit we're looking for. You fruit inspectors, listen to me very carefully. Inspect your own fruit first. Be very careful to go around and wag your finger at everybody else and judge and condemn them because that's not what you're supposed to do. Do you see the character of Jesus in your life? Do you see the character of Jesus in others who claim it? We're not looking at sinners. We're looking at people who are claiming that they, are, they have made Jesus their Lord. I've got a reason why I'm sharing this with you, and it's going to be your homework assignment. It's actually a lifestyle. Listen really carefully, because I, I, I had a feeling as I was writing this out, you need to know that this isn't a works-only sermon. This also is not a rules or legalism sermon. But listen to me carefully. Christianity isn't about no works or no rules either. There's a balance Christianity is supposed to be more about what you get to do. But some of us get so uncomfortable with this kind of message because we've swung so far to the other side of the pendulum that we don't want any rules at all. We just want to be loved into heaven. We want to live the way we want to live and then expect God just to love us into heaven. This is all, this is, this message is all about the way we act and behave. And Christians do not habitually sin. They don't. Rules or no rules, that's a fact. That's scriptural. Paul says, you have followed, he goes, he says, you have followed my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, and steadfastness in your notes. Isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't qualify himself with miracles or ministry here, but with the fruits of the Spirit, which is the, which is the character of Christ. Think about that. Look up on the screen and just let that sink in or on your notes. Let that one statement right there transform your life. He didn't qualify himself for how much he was doing for God, but what was coming out of every pore of his body. Love and gentleness and peace and purpose and faith and patience and self-control. And he wasn't a lover of pleasure. See, we're such a lover of pleasure, even when it comes to food. I'm really stomping my feet because my wife and daughter are making me go on a diet. Like, they're not giving me the choice. And I was stomping my feet, and Katie Beard walked up to me yesterday at the wedding, and she took cookies out of my hand, and I went, no, I will not go on this diet. I am a lover of food. It pleases me. For some of you, it's sex. For some of you, it's porn. For some of you, it's alcohol. I don't know. But it's not the fruit of the Spirit. For some of you, it's because you serve at church and you're just like, you're wearing your lanyard and you're like, oh, boy, I've arrived. Sorry. Verse 12. Indeed, all who delight in pursuing righteousness and are determined, I love those two words, by the way, pursuing and determined. Pursuing righteousness and are determined to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. Listen, you will be hunted and you will be persecuted because of your faith. Maybe the greatest evidence that you are truly a believer of Jesus is that you are getting persecuted. Maybe. When you strive to be holy, to have the character of Christ, when you say no to going out to drink. And by the way, don't go there with me because, you know, you know what I mean, getting drunk. When you try to have some self-control, when you try to live with the fruits of the Spirit oozing out of every pore of your body, the Bible says they will hate you for it. You want to know why? Because when you live with a high moral standard, it begins to convict a sinner. It will convict them. 
when you actually live it out, you will lose friends. But that's swimming upstream. When you live a high moral standard, it begins to convict the sinner, which is what the truth is supposed to do, by the way. We're supposed to embrace conviction because that's what sets us free. Listen, that's what sets us free from all the deceptive works of our enemy. Verse 13, but evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, we all know what evil men are. Those are sinners. What is an imposter? Why did he put that word in there? The definition of imposter is this. Those who would assume an outward identity which is not real to their true nature. People who say that they are born again but still live for themselves. Remember the character deceived in the allegory of the kingdom of Aphabel? He was, he was active in the school, which means he was active in church. He professed to be a follower of Jalen. He professed to be a follower of Jesus. But his life did not reveal any loyalty to Jalen. His life did not reveal it. Listen, he deceived people with his message. Do you all know that you have a message that you're portraying to the world? Because you can say, well, deceived wasn't a teacher. He wasn't a pastor in the school. He just attended. He didn't have a message. Oh, yes, he did. Go to Jude with me. Jude is the second to the last book in the Bible. Watch this. Jude. There's only one chapter, so it's really just verses. Starting with verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Do you see what's happening here? Faith is like diminishing and sin is rising. And I, I wanted to write to you and just talk to you about all the wonderful things that we get to. I wanted to be one of those pastors that just talk about heaven and love and how everything's going to be fine. I want to talk about the streets of gold. I want to talk about the blessings and provisions of God. I want to talk about his love and only his love. But I couldn't do it because there's something more urgent. There's something more pressing. What was more urgent? He tells us in verse 4. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, which means they are Christians. They're going to church. Maybe they're not Christians, but... We can, that's what this message is all about. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, unrestrained desire, and deny Jesus Christ and our only sovereign and our only sovereign and Lord. Now, notice that Jude said that they slipped in here unnoticed. Let me ask you something. If someone came in here or someone stood up and publicly stood up and 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 with their mouth out loud publicly denied Jesus, do you think that that would go unnoticed? There's no way. We would notice it, right? So how did these people deny Jesus and yet slip in unnoticed? The answer is found in Titus chapter 1. Don't even bother going there, but it's right after 2 Timothy if you want to go there. But Titus chapter 1 says, they claim, they profess, declare to know God, but by their well, I thought it wasn't about deeds. You see how there has to be balance to the word of God? They claim to know God, but by their actions, they are denying him. In your notes, they, the imposters, deny Jesus, not by what they say, but by how they live. Their actions are speaking louder than their words. Remember, grace is not a cover-up for sin, to continue to sin. The grace of God empowers us to live a life that is pleasing to God. The grace of God gives us the ability to keep his commands. These men who slip in, go around trying to impress you with how much they know of God and scripture, they profess their faith with their mouth, but listen in your notes, what you live sends a message that is so much louder than what you speak. And you know how I know this? Because some of the most hard hearted people in our society are children of ministers who saw one thing from the pulpit and saw a whole different thing at home. And you know what? They want nothing to do with God now. 
They want nothing to do with the gospel. They want nothing to do with the church. Yeah, there are a lot of ministers' children who strayed for a while, but they returned. You know why? Because mom and dad lived what they preached. So just remember, just remember, if anything that is being preached from this series seems too difficult for you, I mean, if you're thinking, how can I actually obey all of God's commands? That sounds like legalism to me. Remember, it is by the grace of God that gives you the ability to keep the commands of God. It's only his grace. Listen to what James says in the Amplified Version about this. So too, faith, you say it, I don't want to say it, because this is, this is not how you grow a church. You say it so I don't have to say it. If it does not have works, deeds and actions of obedience to back it up is by itself dead. I don't care what you say and how many scriptures you quote at me. But someone may say, you claim to have faith and I have good works. Show me your faith without the works, if you can. And I will show you my faith by my works, that is, by what I do. So the evidence that someone is truly born again is not by what they say, it's by how they live. By what they live. But somehow, we have sadly flipped this around and now it doesn't matter how we live anymore because we said a prayer, because we have this fancy Christian bumper sticker on our car, because we have a fish and now we've added all the little children. I'm in the club, dude. I pay my dues every Sunday in the offering plate. You know what we've done? We've created imposters. And if you stick around with me long enough and don't quit on me, I'm going to show you how to keep from being an imposter later on in the series. Go with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, or just follow up on the screen. We're almost there. Hang in there. 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to be reading from the Living Bible. Or actually, no, I'll give you the Living Bible in a minute. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. The Living Bible says, and how can we be sure that we belong to him? By looking within ourselves. Are we re That's the fruit inspection, by the way. Are we really trying to do what he wants us to do? That's how you know that your, your nature has changed. When we come to Christ for the first time, some of our nature changes immediately and completely. And for others, it just takes a while because we're all a work in progress. Listen, it's not about speed. It's about your desire to obey and please God, okay? It's not about being angel. It's not about being Amy. It's not about being Katie or Pastor Mark or Pastor John. It's not about speed. It's you're on your own journey. It's just about you changing your lustful desires into godly desires. Changing your out-of-control food-eating habits into good, healthy... I hate when I say this stuff publicly because now I'm going to have 100 people that holds me accountable. Change, change, change. By the way, that means no more Mountain Dew. Oh, stop cheering. It's not a happy day. Someone may say in verse 4, I am a Christian. I am on my way to heaven. I belong to Christ. But if he doesn't do what Christ tells him to do, he is a liar. This is not my idea, by the way. So, so in your notes, it's not just confessing. It's confessing and doing. Remember Matthew 7, 21. Not, not, everyone who, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father. And the ones that said, well, we, we drove out demons and we prophesied in your name and we performed a lot of miracles. And he said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, you imposters. This is the message today. Listen to this. Everybody look at me. Not only do we need to go after those who don't know Christ, we have to start going after those who think they are saved but are not. That's your homework assignment, not to go after them, but you need to do your own fruit inspection, and we're going to do that today at the altar. You see, Jesus, Jesus did this in the book of Revelation, and Nehemiah did this when he went back to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. He had to show them how bad it was in order to show them how good it could be. So Jesus says in Revelation 3, 1 through 3, I know your reputation as a live, and I want you to think about churches today. I know your reputation as a live and active church, but you are dead. Wow. Now wake up. 
Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is at the point of death. Your deeds are far from right in the sight of God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold firm to it. Turn to me again. Unless you do, I will come suddenly upon you, unexpected as a thief, and you will be punished. Jesus had to show them their poor condition before he could get them out of their condition. In other words, if you don't show people that they're really lost, even though they think that they're not, you're really not saving them. You're allowing them to remain deceived. And listen, I hope you hear me here in closing. This is always about balance. You love on them, you encourage them, and you speak the truth to them in love. Out of love, from love. Because if all you do is poo-poo their sin, we're going to have a lot of imposters in the church. Ezekiel 33, 8 says, When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sin, and your blood will be on, their, on your hands. Their blood will be on your hands because you didn't want to hurt their feelings. You all get in this posture? This is the posture of love that says, I won't tell my friend what he really needs to hear because I don't want him to stay my friend. Paul says that the only way to present a man perfect before Christ is that we must teach and warn. Colossians 1.28, the Living Bible, says, so everywhere we go, we talk about Christ to all who will listen. Warning them, everybody say warning them, just so you know, and teaching them. As well as we know how, we want to be able to present each one to God perfect because of what Christ has done for each of them. That means telling them that there is a, there's a heaven and a hell, not tickling their ears, which will only produce an imposter. We have to embrace conviction ourselves first so we can live this out in front of them, right? And so that on the day of judgment, we can approach the throne with no fear. I don't want any of you to go to judgment and go, what my judgment's going to be. Will I find favor? No, I want you to go in and go, I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait. I can't wait to serve him more fully. Well, there's no thought of you going to hell. There's no fear. Wow. There's no fear in love. Say that. There's no fear in love. You don't have to fear your friends telling them the truth because you're saving them from the pit of hell. In fact, I think some of us need to go right away and start doing this because we've been holding back because we've been afraid of what people may think of us. I can tell you this with confidence, even if you're uncomfortable with this message or series, that God is pleased when the truth is spoken in love. He's pleased. So let's be honest with our family and friends for once. Let's tell some of them that they are heading for destruction. I don't care if they start quoting scripture at you because you don't want to hear one day why didn't you warn me? Do you know that people even walked away from Jesus when he spoke a hard message? They walked away because what he preached was too strong. But at least they knew the truth. That's all I want you to hear this morning. Amen? The truth of God will set you free. So I just want to leave you with two questions. And then you can fill out the connection cards and place those in the basket. Worship team, will you come? And I love the songs that Dusty picked out. Can we just sing that, um, Your Love Never Fails? I just want you to think about these two questions. Just look up at the screen. Is your claim to your faith in Jesus backed up by how you live? And are you willing to teach and warn others to keep them from being deceived? I just want you to ponder them. Take a moment before you leave, and then you're, you're excused to leave. But I just want you to take a moment and just stare at those two. And if you need to work some things out with God at the altar, come up here. We, we won't pray for you. I don't want anybody laying hands on people. I want this to be between them and God. This isn't a healing thing in the, in the sense where we're laying hands on people. This is just people working some stuff out with God. I don't want you to leave if you felt like today God said, you're an imposter. You've been talking a good talk, but you haven't been walking the walk at all. And you need to make that right with God today. Don't leave without making that right. You don't have to come to the altar to do that. But I think sometimes when you make that bold, courageous move and someone sees that they're not the only one that feels like an imposter, and I'm not saying if you come to the altar, you're an imposter, by the way. But if someone else sees that, then they'll have the courage to come up.
Make a step this morning on your connection card. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus, do that. If you just need to renew your relationship, do that. If you're a believer here that kind of felt like I might be the imposter, that's box number three, to ask God for a renewed passion to please him and bear the fruits of the Spirit with my life. And if you're a seasoned Christian, if you've been following and and you didn't sense I'm an imposter, but maybe there's people in my life that I haven't had the courage to speak to boldly, maybe it's box number four for you, to ask God for more courage in speaking the truth in love with those who are lost. Some of us need to get back to witnessing. Leanne told me that people are starting to get back to handing out tracts again door to door and at, at play. Maybe we need to get back to that. Josh, remind me, tell Rhonda I want some kind of message to go in every bag. If it's not a track, we can type something up and just a a loving, encouraging message to every child and every family. Because if we're not doing that, then we're not really bringing glory to God on Halloween. So I want a message to go in every bag. And when they get home and they're digging in there for a Snickers bar, they go, Jesus loves you no matter what you've done. Something. Father, we laid our hands on our heart and we ask you to soften the soil or make the, make the clay moldable and squeezable. And some of us were squeezed this morning because we're not behaving the way we should be behaving. There's things we're doing on Friday night and Saturday night that are displeasing to you and we're coming in on Sunday pretending to be a Christian. And this ends today, Father. We're, we're gonna make you Lord of our life, amen? Amen, guys, girls, ladies, children, teens. We're gonna make Lord, Lord for once so he'll own our life and we won't do or say anything without his permission we won't go anywhere without his backing we won't follow kids in school just because they're doing one thing or they're laughing or picking on someone a weaker person an ugly person a geek a nerd no we won't do that we'll be the one that goes and sits with them we'll be the one that goes and holds them we'll be the one that goes and loves them we will swim upstream. We will do the opposite of what our friends are doing. Do you know, I've, I lost friends in high school because of that, by the way. They couldn't believe I went over and sat with that table. And they never spoke to me again. And you know what I said? That means I'm doing the right thing. Kids, teenagers, those of you in school, are you listening to me? Don't go with the flow. Go against it. If it's not of God, go against it. Stand up. Be someone in that high school that swims against the current. Adults, come on. Those of you that know you're living in sin, come on. Don't be an imposter because you're not fooling God. You may be fooling us, but you're not fooling God. Some of us need to get on our face right now. We need to come to the altar right now and just get on our knees and on our face and just say, God, I need help with this. I no longer want to be an imposter. I no longer, or maybe you just want to cry out to God for more of him. Maybe you're okay with him and you just want to come up and just say, God, I want to make sure I never become that. And until Pastor Mark helps me and speaks on it, help me right now, Father, to get rid of this sin area in my life. This lust of the flesh that I just can't seem to get over. This desire for food that I, every time I'm depressed, I run to food. Every time I'm worrying and frantic, I turn to food when I should be trusting you. Father, we want to be real We want to be genuine followers of Christ. No imposters at Light and Life. No imposters listening to this message. And we want our deeds to match our faith. And our faith to match our deeds. We want to bear fruit for you, Lord. The fruits of the Spirit. All of them, every day. As Penny prayed, everything that comes to my mind, everything that comes out of my mouth, everything my hands touch, everywhere my feet goes. Father, I pray for Katie, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that she makes a difference in these kids' lives that she's been put in charge of. Lord, that you would help her guide them towards Lord. Lord. Not just a fun trip to Panama where I can go and tell people I'm a missionary, but their lives would be wrecked, Lord. Begin that work now before she returns. So when she goes back, Lord, the work will be easy, not difficult. Break them, Lord. Convict them. Convict us. Lord, as a church, this is what we're saying. From leadership down, we embrace your conviction. Show us what we're doing wrong, Lord, so we can fix it. We don't ever want to misrepresent you to the world, Lord. We don't want to be a fake church that just has fancy lights and great music and so-so sermon. 
we want to please you, Daddy, so that we can enter and approach the judgment throne with no fear because there's no fear in love. Thank you, Father, for loving us no matter what we do. Thank you, Jesus, that your love can never be removed from us no matter what we've done. Help us to forgive ourselves and ask for forgiveness and come into your arms and allow you to love us. Love the hell right out of us. Hallelujah. Amen. I love you guys. Hallelujah, Jesus.